So welcome everybody to another episode of the Real Life Sports Show with me, Sam Adams. This is season two. We've already had some phenomenal guests. We've got another one today. I'm really pleased and delighted to welcome Alicia Ferguson-Cook to the show. Uh, I'm going to get Alicia to introduce herself rather than me do a really shit job of it. Um, but welcome, Alicia, first and foremost. Nice to have you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Um, right. What? Tough doing an intro of yourself. Tough doing an intro of yourself. It is. Okay. I, I always start off like that. Really. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. So who am I? Um, I'm a former Australian international turned TV producer. So I've lived in London for 10 years now. Um, still work in TV. And at the moment, I'm the project manager for the Matilda's docuseries called Matilda's The World at Our Feet. So mm. Disney Plus have commissioned a six-part docuseries that comes out in April 2023. So I'm just traveling the world, following the players, really. That's that's my job this year. Brilliant. And just um, we have all sorts of sports people on here. Um, it's not just football. So you, Matilda, for those of you that don't know that are listening, Matilda's is uh, the women's um, football in Australia. That's the football team you used to play for. And that's who you're following now. So just to clarify that. So, yeah, it's all about football for you. <laughs> it is all about football for me. It always has been all about football for me. Um, yeah, I've, I've been obsessed with it since I was young. So my dad's Scottish. So my dad's from outside of Glasgow, a place called Air. Yeah. So it's always been in our blood, like huge rivalry between Celtic and Rangers within the family. And, you know, I've, I've always played. Um, I'm the youngest of five kids. So my brother that's closest to me, he's a couple of years older, yeah. um, used to just kick lumps out of me in the backyard, basically. So that's that's how I started my football career. I think that's a, you know, there's so many footballers, especially with, we're seeing a lot of the stories now from the Lionesses and, and all of the other women within who were just in the Euros. You know, there's a lot of stories of young girls that played football in their garden with their brothers and got kicked about and muscled about by their brothers. And actually, it's really helped them. I think Beth, was it Beth Mead I was listening to yesterday? Maybe she was talking about that. Or So it seems a bit of a common theme, quite frankly. Yeah, definitely. Like I, yeah, I think so. I guess, you know, we're, I think in Australia, we're pretty lucky. We're a sports mad nation anyway. So if it wasn't playing football in the backyard, it was like getting tackled rugby league, rugby union style with a ball. You know, and there was, there was, it was just sport. It was just sport. I played hockey as well. Mm. Um, but football was uh, what I really loved playing. And so, yeah, I started playing in the boys team when I was um, six. Wow. And played all the way through, actually. It got to a stage when I was about 12 or 13 for a couple of years when I was playing with the boys on a Saturday and the girls on a Sunday. And I just loved it. It was like football mad. Was it? Um, I mean, I don't know your age, but back, but back then, was it really, what was the access like for young girls to play football? Access was great. So I'm the big 4-0. Um, right. So that was what, in like the late 80s and stuff like that. But again, like the acceptance and the ease for me to play with the boys and just be seen as another player, I found it really simple. Right. But again, like I, I just think our Aussie culture is it's sport. Yeah. Like that's what it is. And even in school, I was playing AFL with the boys. I'd play at lunchtime with the boys and, and it, there was never any issues with that. Um, and I don't think any of my mates, you know, my other teammates or that ever really had any issues playing in boys teams growing up. So it was a bit of a culture shock to me when I first got here. A story, I was doing some coaching and um, for an academy when I moved here. There was this young girl. She was about seven years old. So she came along because her brother was eight. Mm. 
she was the best player in that academy, like our little set out, our sessions. Yeah. And so she had, she was telling me she had started playing with her brother's team, but then parents from the other um, clubs complained about her. And so they stopped a seven-year-old girl from playing in a boys' competition at that age. So she was telling me she had to go and she'd just stand on the sidelines while her brother played. And, like, that was – so I moved here in 2012 and there's still stuff like that happening. And I I was pretty shocked, I must admit. And I still hear stories of that. Yeah, There's still still a way to go, I think, culturally. But I think, you know, we you said we're going to talk about lionesses. Mm. Um. Stuff like them winning on home soil, hopefully, will start changing people's attitude towards it because it's just absolute nonsense. Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah. Just... I mean, it is a, a joke. Like it's shocking when you say you've been here ten years and we still have stories like that from you know. And I'm I'm way older than you, and um, uh, like it's tough. It's really tough. The other thing is yeah. like there's this thing with the FA over here. I think where. You know, so again, as a national team, so leading up to the 2000 Olympics, our team, um, we went full time into our program into the Australian Institute of Sports. So we all moved down to Canberra, which is the capital of Australia, to a sports institute. But even through when I first got into my first all women's academy, which was 13, and, and it was um, it was an open academy. So I was the youngest there. Mm. I had to go see a psychologist to see if I was up for it because we were training five nights a week. You know, we we're in the gym twice a week. Um, and they, you know, we've always played against boys' teams because we couldn't get the depth of games. So even as a national team in 99-2000, we'd play on a Wednesday morning and we'd play on a Saturday and we were playing against men's teams or boys' teams, like under-16 teams, and we'd just alternate it mm. from game to game. And it was, like, never any issue whatsoever. But for some reason, it's the the segregation between the male and females um, still seems quite odd to me. And, and I just I just don't see the justification for it. Look, I am I have no clue um, what I don't know because we don't know any different. Like you know, I'm born and raised in this country, don't know any different. When I grew up, girls can play football. Uh, there was nowhere for me to play football. The only sport that really I could get involved in as a kid was athletics. That was like something where girls could go. There was netball as well, um, uh, and then a little bit of hockey. But outside of that, really, there, there was no rugby, there was no football, there was no cricket. Um, and it wasn't until I got to my late teens that I found a, a football club that I could play for, uh, yeah. uh, which was a girls football club. Uh, you know, there was just no chance of me playing. Uh, and it's ridiculous. I don't know why why we're like that in this country. There is a massive long way to go. But before we get to that, I want to I know your experiences because... Honestly, listening to you talk about the way they do things in Australia, you know, I know they've invested a shit ton of money into their sport. I know that it's, it, I, I, you know, that, that it's super, super important to to the people of Australia, the culture. Um, oh God, I wish we were like that in this country. I really do. So I want to know, you touched on a bit of your experience, like at 13, going to the academy you know and going full-time like in 2000 I mean that just seems absolutely bonkers but what what was your experience of that I mean it sounds like they really they kind of knew what they're doing getting psychologists in because obviously you're training every day or five days tell me a little bit more about that experience and how you you know that sounds like the normal to me that's the norm really 
Yeah, look, again, I think really, like like I said to you, like when you think of Australia, like there's not many of us and we've got not much else going on apart from resources, so mining and stuff. You know, we're not a financial capital of the world. Yeah. So it's basically export of resources and sport. Right. You know, there's probably going to be a few people who will say there's some other things. But, you know, <laughs> let's go with that. But um, so that was, I mean, a big turning point and our full-time program was the 2000 Olympics. Yeah. So... The government, you know, threw tons of money in. But even before that, so it was the Queensland Academy of Sport where I got the scholarship to. And this was set up. So even the Australian Institute of Sport, I think Mm -hmm. it was in 1981 it was set up. And I should know this because when I lived down there, I did tours of the AIS. So I should know this. (laughs) But it basically got set up because we did so poorly in, in an Olympics. Right. And the government was like, oh, hang on a second. What's going on? So even from a really young age, from ever since I was in my first academy at 13, we had sports science support. We had sports medicine support. We had strength and conditioning expertise as well. We've always had sports psychologists in it. And they were just all part of, we had nutrition support as well. We used to do cooking classes. Like this was me at the age of 13 learning all this stuff. You know, there was a sports science lab at the academy um, campus and so we'd do the testing, you know, this is like the first time on the treadmill, you know, the mask on, they're yeah. doing your lactates, all that kind of stuff. So that was in that was in like the mid-90s for me and that was the norm. And, and even so what you did see after the 2000 Olympics as well, what actually happened is a lot of our um, sport practitioners, let's say, ended up being scouted by the UK leading in as soon as you got the 2012 Olympics. So a lot of our physiotherapists, our sports scientists, even some of our sports administration and sports medicine people all came over to the UK. Because again, a huge injection of funding. Absolutely. And that's where it kind of it comes around in that cycle. So it's definitely, it's dropped off. You know, it had to drop off at some point. Um, but now 2032 is the Brisbane Olympics and it's all kind of kicking off again. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it does go in those cycles and it kind of, you know, the government yeah, no. can't justify it and all the rest of that stuff. But despite that, you know, we've got we've got great facilities. We've, you know, there's there's football grounds everywhere, sports grounds. We've got the space. Mm-hmm. We have the space and we have the facilities. And that's something that I know the UK does struggle with, especially, you know, a place like London. Yeah. It's just so jam-packed. Like, where do you fit another football pitch? You just can't do it. You can't even fit any more housing. No, <laughs> and, that, and that's a real and that's a real challenge to like for young girls, because if they're from the inner city, then how are they how are they going to get to Cobham? Yeah. How are they going to get to London Colney to Arsenal's training ground? It's really really tricky. Yeah, that's our biggest issue for sort of you know cities like London and stuff is the access, um, you know, and 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 grounds and facilities. It's yeah, we, we don't have the space. You're right. We you know we haven't got enough housing. Uh, let alone thinking about recreation and 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 yeah things like that so it is a struggle for us and we did have an uplift obviously 2012 was great for us you know all about that you know australia's know, know about that what that can do for you and it was amazing for us but there is like you said there's always going to be peaks and troughs there's always going to ebb and flow um you know but we don't have this underlying culture um like australia i feel that you know that you know sport is for everyone uh, and it doesn't matter if it's girls or boys or whatever we ju- we just don't uh, well that's my experience we just didn't come from that yeah you know, girls did, did you feel do you feel that it, it it has potential to change do you feel that oh. like the tides are changing you know like i know righty was saying about you know getting the girls in pe and stuff like that yeah that's a big issue you know i think 
sounds yeah. like it sounds like fundamentally it has to it has to start in the schools like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure like and look weather is is not on your side as well and, <laughs> um and and can make it a little bit tricky for even you know playing in a muddy pitch in the field and yeah. you have to go back into class and stuff like that so there are there are obstacles but it does sound like the attitude has to improve as well. Yeah, oh, 100%. But I think, you know, yeah, the weather is an issue. I was re- re- reading an article the other day and they were talking about young girls and girls get to a certain age and then it's like, oh, well, it's too dark. It's too, because it gets dark at four o'clock, doesn't it? Come flipping, mm. change in October and it's cold and it's damp or whatever. But, you know, it, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. And, and where we are now with the Lionesses winning, um, you know, our, our rugby players are doing amazingly well. And I see, I've seen a real shift in rugby uptake and interest in rugby for women as well. So, so things are changing. And cricket. Our cricket is doing better as well. So there is definitely a tidal change. But it, it, it's never, you know, football, I think, will get a crescendo off the back of what the Lionesses have done, quite rightly. But it, it's going to take time and um, and we need more people like Wrighty, who's got a really good voice, um, yeah. speaking out about it. People at the top, people at the top have got to speak out, but they've got to, they've got to understand that it has to start at the bottom. It has to start the kids in school, yeah. the culture in school. Yeah. Um, well, even that, Sam, even that. So there's a school, just um, a primary school up the road. So a mate of mine is the head teacher. And she, um, so this was just but this was before the pandemic and so she wanted to start the first football um football like training session in the morning yeah. for the girls and that was like 2020 <laughs> and so I was volunteering and going up and coaching him and stuff and but you know it was like the the attitude of actually the um the coach who was kind of looking after the boys he wasn't didn't really seem too interested in what the girls were up to but these were like these are young girls, and the, the turnout was great. You know, there's 15, yeah. 20 girls who just love to have the experience. But it's 2012, and that's the first time they've ever been offered that. They've actually started a girls' program. It's crazy, isn't it? And, and that was because of Bronya. And, and look, and, and that was because Bronya knows me as well. And 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 I think that was great. And actually, she sent me a, like a lovely message the other day after the lionesses. You know, visibility does matter if you know people, and and you can actually see it yeah and then you can provide these opportunities but if you're not looking for it and you don't know it and like you say if it's not in your psyche then yeah. you've like everyone's got so many other things on their mind aren't they like life's difficult enough as it is so it does take those little seminal moments of people going oh actually you know like i know that person or i remember that or that was a huge moment the lioness has won to try and shift that that mindset so it comes to the forefront yeah and invisibility is everything you know it's something that i've you know, all of my friends, you know, luckily, a lot of them actually, my friends aren't really into sport, which is a bit weird. But, you know, the amount of them that I've dragged on this journey, <laughs> this lioness's journey, I've been messing. And on Sunday, my phone just went, because I was at Wembley, you were at Wembley, you know, my phone just went ballistic and yeah. people trying to FaceTime me. And I'm like, you don't fucking watch football normally. But that's what we want, right? It's what we want. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. And you, like we always say, visibility matters. You yeah. know, you, you put things in front of people and it's a really quality product. And look, the good thing about football now, like football is saturated in this country. Yeah. You've got football, like football just doesn't stop. Like it doesn't stop over the summer. Wednesday. Football don't take a break. It does not take a break in the UK. Um. And so there's a lot of competition for broadcast time, for sponsorship, for all that kind of stuff. And 
And now you can see the quality of the play and the depth of talent and the technical and tactical improvement because these players are all full-time and yeah. they're in really solid training environments against some of the best players in the world and they've got the facilities and the support systems to actually to improve the product and then that gets people to watch it. It's as simple as that. It's not a difficult equation to work out. No, absolutely. You're right. You know, I've been watching football for a long time and, and uh, you know, I drag my, my niece is massively into football and I've taken her to all the football matches. I live in Brighton, so at the Amex, we've been to every match and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I keep saying to her, you should have been here 20 years ago. You should have been here 30 years ago. Yeah. It wasn't quite like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That, you know what? But it's, it's great, you know. Sometimes I get asked, you know, do you, are you, oh, what is it, not, not resentful or anything, but, you know, do you wish you were a player in this area? And it's like, well, no, I had a great time. I had a fantastic yeah. career. I got to travel the world. I got to play for my country. I got to play in a home Olympics. Like, no, like everything that you do, but everything that happens beforehand is all leading up to this point. Yeah. And to where these players are now. And, you know, everything these players are doing is leading into what the next 20 years hold for people as well when it's even better. So everyone has their point in time and what they've contributed to the legacy of it. Yeah, uh, but it, like what we're seeing now is what we always wanted, what everyone wanted. So I don't think you can ever hold it against this generation for for being at this point in time. No, you you can't. I mean, I look at them and think, bloody hell, they're really lucky. Yeah, you know, I'd love to. You know, I did athletics to a good standard. I'd love to have played football to to you know have the facilities and the access that that now is is coming to the fore. But it is what it is, and it was what it was. But you, nonetheless. You know, somebody in a, a woman in the UK in the year 2000 trying to play football for for England, you know, Kelly and the likes of that, you know, all of that, gen- sorry, Kelly Smith and the, the, yeah. the, those kind of people. I know, you know, sorry. Uh, but, you know, yeah. it was nothing like your experience. You know, tell you tell you what, I'd love to. I'd love to see Kelly Smith still playing now because I reckon she could still, she I reckon could still she come could. over. She I, plays sometimes. And I'll give dig her out on this. So I've got a Monday night football crew. <clears throat> we play down at Chiswick, but Kelly only turns up in the warm weather. Kelly, <laughs> <laughs> for the first time, <clears throat> one of the first games that she turned up, and so Kaz Carney was playing as well. And um, <clears throat> I was on Kaz's team, and I was going like, "Close it down, Kaz. Close it down. <laughs> Close it down. Don't let her shoot." Kelly, just like put a bullet left foot into the top corner and I was like, good defending, Kaz. Well done. <laughs> Just oh, like, oh, mate, some player Kelly Smith is. She, oh, she's I didn't funny. know you knew her actually, but um, yeah. She, yeah, look, she, I'm an Arsenal fan. So, you know, uh, you know, that was some of the first women's football I watched was Arsenal women. And um, yeah, I'm a massive fan of her. But I, what I appreciate and I hope a lot of people listening to this so they don't understand the history of the women's game go and do some digging around and and you know have a read about the likes of kelly smith uh, because we wouldn't have what we have now if it weren't for people like kelly and all of those that have gone before and worn the shirt before the things that they did at arsenal Uh, kelly is without doubt one of the greatest footballers ever really i mean she was quality she was one of the greatest dancers i've ever seen after the game on She got us into a nice little uh, VIP place just in Box Park there. And, um, yeah, she said, she said, 
this is how much I've had to drink and how happy I am. I never dance. And I was like, brilliant. Carve uh, up the dance floor, Kel. <laughs> I, I, I think we need to see some of the iPhone footage of that. There's got, <laughs> there's got to be some around. I saw oh, some- no, I don't. I didn't take any of it. I was like, I'm standing well away from that, mate. You can get to do the carving up the dance floor over there. But, um, but yeah, look, look, I think you see even like the Karen Carneys, the Farrah Williams and stuff like that. You know, this generation just before, really they were still the ones that, you know, there's these seminal moments, I think, where you notice a big improvement in the technical and the tactical awareness and, mm. and ability of the players. And that generation started that. Yeah. Because those players, you know, exceptional players, really mm. exceptional players, and there's so many more. I won't go through them all. But so this, this, so what all these younger generation, this generation of players is really lucky because what they were able to do was to train with those players. Yeah. And see the standards that they had to get to. And then they can, push on and do that because then they're in a proper full-time environment yeah and you know with the addition of playing in Europe and stuff like that different styles so you know that generation has a lot a lot to be proud of and and they have had a huge influence on what this generation is now and I think it's important for people to to remember that and I know a lot of the players do that as well but I think you know for everyone else that a lot of what's happening now the success now is down to them Hundred percent, and I think you know we've got a whole, you know I don't know what happened in Australia through throughout the years, but here we've obviously got a whole new fan base. You know, and you got to see that yesterday trying to get tickets for the USA England game, fucking bonkers. <laughs> I was pissed because I'm like, where the fuck were you like last year? <laughs> just for a moment. I mean, I'm happy really. But <laughs> I'm just like, I'm you'll be happy. You'll be happy if you get the ticket. You'll be pissed yeah. if you don't get the ticket. That's what I said. In my, That's I'm, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, look out, look after the proper fans. Get us the tickets first, the priority. You know, it's interesting because some of the boys that play on my Monday Night Football as well, so now there's actually – so they go and follow the England men's team away. And mm. so they, there's like a, a point system type thing. So the more games you go to with the England men's team, then you get priority tickets. Yeah. And I kind of think that should – that's a good thing and maybe it's – it protects the likes of you, Sam. Where <laughs> no, but I think I think it's a good thing because you don't right. want to ostr- you don't want to ostracise and annoy the fans that have been there from day one with the old oh, bloody old bloody new yeah. fans and all that. No, you know? absolutely. I think you know they've got a problem on their hands, which is great. It's a good problem to have because suddenly we've got this influx of whole new people that are interested in women in the women's game in this country. And um, you know, somebody said yesterday to me about the fan that you know like. There wasn't the point system, but there was another way of doing it. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, the ones that have, we've been here all along, mm. yeah, we need to be rewarded for our loyalty. And, you know, we need to be, you know, some way get ahead of the queue. I, I miss, uh, and, I, and I was working yesterday, so I bloody forgot anyway. Um, and I, the thing is, the trouble is, like, I know, you know, like you, you know people when you go, oh, can you get me a ticket? But it's so crazy now. They can't even get your fucking ticket. Whereas before they go, oh, yeah, it's 10. You know, like, bring who you like. I tell you what, you realise how popular you are when um, when big games come up. Hey, all the friends come out of the woodwork asking yeah, for tickets. Yeah. Oh, I had plenty of them on Sunday. I didn't even know because I, I actually thought I was going to be, because I'm full-time working on the Matildas documentary. Yeah. Docu-series, sorry. So I was supposed to be working for Optus Sport because I've done broadcasting with them previously. But in this job, I'm not doing any in-front-of-camera media stuff. It's just the nature of the beast. And um, so I thought I'd be working on the Euros. I thought I'd be pitch side at most of the stuff. So I hadn't even got any tickets. So I, I managed to like get invites for a few. And then 
I'll have to give a massive shout out to my mate, Liesl Dolly, who's the women's lead at, um, or head of women's at Visa UK, who said, oh, yeah. yeah, we've got, we've got two tickets for you and your husband in hospitality. And I was like, yes, bring it on. <laughs> Brilliant. Nailing yeah. life. Fantastic. It is who you know. It is who you know. It is who you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So no, I was very, very fortunate, but um yeah, it's just such a good atmosphere, wasn't it? Yeah, Amazing. Sure. Yeah, like I, I, I don't think I'll, um, I don't think I'll ever forget it. It was probably the happiest day of my life. Um, I've been married twice, so that tells you. <laughs> I've got two children. <laughs> but the good, the good news is the lionesses won't break up with you, so you're fine. Yeah, that absolutely. love, that love affair will last for your whole life. And it's been there already. It's been a love exactly. affair for a long time. It's going exactly. to continue on, but yeah. it probably was the happiest day of my life. I think it was just. I cried. I cried yesterday. I cried Monday. I've felt like I've had a hangover for for two days without drinking a drop of alcohol on Sunday night, even though we was partying, but I, I don't, I'm not drinking at the moment. So yeah. I didn't drink, but I've, I've literally, I feel like today I'm like starting to feel a bit human again, but I was, I just Yeah, well, I mean, you and me both, that's why I've tried to sweat it out in the gym. So I don't, <laughs> I don't really want the vision for everyone to see how haggard I looked after like, you look what fine. Was a big you night. Look but fine. you know, like you say about that, like the, um, like I was really emotional all day Monday as well. I was yeah. watching the thing in Trafalgar Square. My mate Joe Bennett works with the team. You know, seeing the hard work that he puts into putting out some amazing content with the team and um, also just seeing the reaction of people, reaction of the players, just reaction of every. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was on all the front pages of the papers. Everyone was talking about it. That's That's never happened before. That has absolutely never happened before. So it was just a really special moment. So like every time I saw something, I was like blubbering, like we've got the Aussies crying over the lioness. Yeah, exactly. Well, you like, like I said to you, I I I played in a home Olympics, Sydney two thousand. That was the highlight of my career. So walking out into the Olympic Stadium for the opening ceremony mm. is something I will never forget. Got to watch Kathy Freeman. Yeah. Um, win oh. that incredible race as well. Oh, like honestly, that still gives me goosebumps. We yeah. actually stormed into yeah. the stadium because we didn't have tickets. So just as athletes, we just went in with one of our um, kind of athlete liaison officers. We were just like, right, we're in. So we're just all standing like right on the finish line. Man. So there was Jai Tarima, I think he won something, a medal in the long jump over somewhere else. And Tatiana Grigorieva got a pole vault silver, I think, yeah. and then Kathy Freeman. So it was just this extraordinary day. But, I mean, what a legend. Kathy was um, in staying just around the corner from us where we were parked in the Olympic Village. And, you know, for someone with so much pressure on her, so much weight of expectation, just she just has this aura <coughs> of calm, incredible calmness about her where it's just like, right, yeah, okay, I'm just going to go out and and take all that pressure, wear a really cool Nike suit and off we go. I, I love athletes like that. I mean, oh, I, oh God, it's just, I, sport gets me so emotional. Um, I know it does a lot of people, but there's some iconic moments. That was an iconic moment uh, in my book. And I feel like not enough people know Kathy Freeman's story. Yeah. You know, I just, yeah. She is, she is just an absolute legend. I'm just like, in we all are so. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, honestly, Sam, like, 
it is it's still like I said, it still gives me goosebumps. Thinking about the opening ceremony as well when she lit the cauldron. Mm. Thinking about so what I was saying to someone the other day was the thing about playing in front of um a home crowd, especially in something huge and actually winning it, is that you spend you sacrifice so much. You miss birthdays, you miss weddings, you miss any fun you kind of miss out on a bit of a, a like a young adulthood where maybe your mates are going out getting up to mischief and stuff like that yeah. you travel away a lot you play away a lot where you don't play in front of your friends and family and loved ones so to be able to show them what all that sacrifice yeah like is is working towards and then being able to actually win on home soil in front of a home crowd it's just you can't compare that no. you absolutely can't I, I guarantee you even if the Lionesses win a World Cup next year, the highlight of their career will probably be winning on home soil at yeah, Euros. I can get I get that. Yeah. yeah it's just yeah. like it's and so that's why it's still it'll always make me emotional because yeah. it you work so so hard, you know, the hours and hours of training and all the rest of it. You know, it's and I'm not saying it's a bad existence. <laughs> we get <laughs> we get to play football and travel the world. It's not that bad, is it? You know, well, not, you know, the, but this is a pretty good gig. Know. It's a good gig because, you know, look, sport is phenomenal. You're doing something you hopefully you're passionate about. I work with professional athletes and I see I see some of the stuff that they go through. But this is the whole point of the show, really, is that actually we talk about the reality that there is, you know, because, you know, let's be honest, people just look at the TV and see the lionesses and think, oh, wow, aren't they lucky? But like you say, it's the sacrifices, the day in, the day out, the missed birthdays, the family connection, traveling all the time, traveling all the time. Yeah, you're not on holiday when you get there. It's not a picnic, and some people cope better with that than others. Um, some people don't like to travel at all, uh, and the, the mental pressure, the physical pressure, you know, present pressure from your teammates that you feel, your own personal pressure. You know, you, it, it, there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes. It takes a village to put one man on the pitch, or one yeah. woman on the pitch, or one yeah. person on the track. And yeah. you know, yeah. this, this is the reality of the show. Uh, you know, to talk about some of that. The highs and the lows. Um, and I just want to, like, obviously we've been talking a while already, but I do want to talk about the Matildas because obviously you you, play, you you played for the Matildas, but now you're doing this docu-series. So tell me a little bit about that, how that came about and what we can expect from that. Because obviously I'm guessing that's a pretty good gig to be doing that. It's fantastic. Look, I started on the role. So I'm employed by Football Australia. So... Um, Football Australia put a, a call to action out to, for people to actually put in ideas for a, a docu-series for the Matildas. Mm-hmm. Um, and Disney Plus came out the winner. And I think for what this team and their legacy and leading into the World Cup, you know, I think Disney is a, a fantastic partner yeah. for a, a fantastic platform because this is what these girls are doing, like everyone's talking about, inspiring people, inspiring next generations, even inspiring other people to maybe get back into football at a different age so we're filming we started filming in November and we filmed through to this November um so the key thing about this is that it has to be timeless so it's focusing on not necessarily like a point in time to a point in time type thing of course it's we're following them through the year but it's really focused on the players and getting to know the diversity of our squad and the makeup of our squad and also I don't think people quite appreciate this. The Matildas are the most travelled team in the world. You know, they all live, most of them are based over here in Europe. Mm-hmm. And at the moment leading into the World Cup, 
they're going back and forth. So every second international window is back in Australia. Now you talk about like how tough this is on the athletes, you know, of course, athletes love playing at home, but they're playing on a Sunday. They're on a flight on a Monday and then they're playing the following Saturday. Yeah. So with the 24 hour travel and jet lag and all the rest of that stuff, it's been a big year for these girls. It really has. Um, so, but it's, it's, it's really helped me re-engage, I think, with, mm-hmm. with the team, with the brand, with what it is and what it means to represent your country and, and also just to get an insight into the high-performance environment and what it's like now and what it was like when I was around there. You know, there's not a lot of things have improved. Like a lot of things, that, like the, the staff, the support staff is like huge now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of need that to keep these girls on the pitch, to keep them fit and healthy. But, you know, as players, they they still live out of suitcases. You know, they might move into a place. You know, for instance, like a Mary Fowler's just moved from, she was in Montpellier and now she's in Manchester. You know, it's not like many of them like pack up their whole families or they've got wives yeah. or they've got husbands and kids <laughs> and stuff like that. It's still a tricky existence yeah. for our women footballers. Um, because it essentially is, you know, someone like uh, Tamika Yallop, her wife, Kirsty, and her daughter, Harley, are still back in New Zealand. So, you know, she's still playing over, and that was due to the pandemic and all the rest of that stuff. But, you know, they're, they're still living away from partners, loved ones, and all yeah. the rest of it. And it, it's, not, it's not an hour flight to pop back home, you know, if you're from Amsterdam or something like that, like in Europe. Mm. it's a long way from home so um it's been a big year for the girls it really has so it's um but look there's some incredible personalities in this team yeah, like really good that. personalities we've got some great access you know we've been in changing rooms we've been in and around the team you know we're we're in every single camp and then in between that we go off and do catch-up profile shoot filming with the um with the players where they're dotted around here there and everywhere so i'm excited for it i'm really excited for it it's um yeah. It's going to, yeah, it's going to go really well, I hope. When's it? When does it come out? So it comes out in April 2023. So, yeah, so six, I think six one-hour episodes. Um, so, look, yeah, the first couple of episodes are already cracking on with the editing and stuff like that. It, it's a tight turnaround. It's a really tight turnaround. And, look, the logistics of following around a team of players who are here, there, everywhere is... is yeah. I mean, it's gone from like I say, it's gone from like zero to hero as far as travel is concerned. But but what it's given me is a, a huge appreciation for how tiring the schedule is for these players. Because some of these players, Ellie Carpenter, you know, is playing fifty games a season plus all the travel on top of it. Yeah, really it, it is so hard, you know. And and we're we're lucky in this country because. You know, anyone that's listening to this podcast, go and check out Matildas because we got a lot. <laughs> we got quite a few. Matildas yeah, we're taking over. We're taking over, haven't we? Um, <laughs> and Caitlin and yeah. Emily and uh, yeah, we got yeah. a whole bunch, haven't we? So we're we got heaps. We got heaps. Look, it was um, it was definitely something that needed to happen for our players to to yeah. improve again, technically and tactically. You know, historically, I think as a nation, we've always done pretty well. Like we were in the Asian Confederation, so. We're used to playing the Asian teams, but European style of play is something different, completely different. And we've historically we've struggled against that. Yeah. I mean, we lost to Spain seven nil recently, so we're still struggling against that. Yeah. Um, but it's all part of the development. We need to be playing these top teams. We have to be playing them at a high level. 
and and we our players need to be surrounded by the uh, the best players in the world to improve. So, and you, you know, have that, the best player in the world. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's not bad, is it? Yeah, not bad for a small country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Sam. I mean, just seeing how much as um, a footballer she has matured. Mm. You know, and developed and stuff, and there was it was interesting because you never really know. Like Sam was absolutely killing it in the US, and and people were maybe a little bit skeptical or maybe questioning how she would fit in to the to the UK and to the European style of play. You know, there's not as much space. People close you down a lot more, mm. um, and it, it took her a little while to settle in, settle in, but no longer than anyone else would have. No. And she's, you know, loving life at Chelsea. You can mm-hmm. just see how much she's enjoying her football. Right. Uh, she's a phenomenal football player. And, you know, yeah, look, there's no question yeah. her ability and her skill. It's, it's show, you know, she shows it week in, week out. And she's just one of those players that just has this vibrancy about on the pitch. And obviously, I don't know her personally, but what I see. And I love to see that. Like, I know that Emma doesn't like her celebrating in the way she does, but I love that. I love seeing that character come out and, and that vibrancy and exuberancy that she, you know, and that, and that just shows you a little bit about who she is. Um, yeah, the great thing about Sam is she's Sam and she'll do it her way. And if you don't like it, unlucky. Yeah. You know, like yeah. she's she's truly authentic but, and she is singularly focused on winning and her preparation. I know I was talking to her mum, Roxanne, actually, um, and her mum was saying, so her parents were over here and Sam sent them to stay in a hotel the night before a game just mm-hmm. so, like, she has her own preparation time and stuff like that. And that just shows you how focused she is on. She is a winner. She wants to win every single time. Yeah. And, and that's what you need to do. You need that attitude to be the best. And that's why she is the best and that's why she's continuing on the ascendancy as well. And I think there's still more to come with Sam too. Yeah. Right? She's um she's really settled into the WSL and and I think it was such a great move for her. Like fantastic move for her. Oh yeah, she's done phenomenal. Yeah, but arguably arguably with one of the you know the greatest coaches as well, Emma. Uh, as, you know. Yeah, I saw him actually after the game. Yeah, she was in that place actually with Kel too. Oh, yeah. But you know, like I saw she was doing something just emotional because she's had such a huge impact on all these players. She's a huge part of the success of this team. Yeah. And I mean, she's just incredible what she's done with that club and her longevity within the game because it, it's not easy being a coach. No. I think the great thing about Emma is she gets – she understands the power of her support staff as well. She gets like, she gets the people around her that she needs, you know, and I think she's very good at delegating certain responsibilities so it's not just on her and understands that as a squad there's a lot of there's a lot of players that you have to manage and you don't have time for everyone. No. So you have to have that team around you to be able to kind of make sure that everyone's looked after and it's just it's just a solid working unit. Yeah, and I think you know, there's there's different managers that like to assume certain level of control, uh, and I do think it, like I said before, it takes a village, and it's getting that village right. That you know, it's like, well, this person has this role, this person worked better with this this player or that player or whatever. They've got a better connection with whoever, and and recognizing that, not being feared by that, but going, okay, no, this is going to work best for the player and giving the player what they need and allowing them that freedom of expression. You know, it's a big part of my work. It's like freeing people up to be who they really are because that helps you express yourself. Like Sam, like, 
you know, yeah. for that freedom, because that's how you're going to get the best out of her. But it's yeah, understanding it. the dynamics in the back room, as it were, that can allow that to happen. Well, that's it. You need a psychologist. You need to be a psychologist if you're a head coach, if you're a manager. And I know um, <laughs> one of her backroom staff as well is another Aussie. Um, Tanya Oxaby, who used to be um, the Bristol coach as well. So Tanya played in the W League, played with Sam, actually, was her captain at Perth Glory. Tanya is a sports psychologist and organisational psychologist, like clinical psychologist as well. Mm. And it's crucial. It's crucial to, especially in a team like that, like Emma's got, it's difficult to to keep everyone happy. You've only got 11 spots on the pitch and you've got some really big name players that you're sometimes putting on the bench. And saw this as well with Serena Wiegmann. But the thing I, I can see with these two um, coaches, and I call them coaches because I think the old management term was like not actually getting on the pitch and coaching, but, you know, these coaches are actually on the pitch day in, yeah. day out, actually doing the coaching. But um, with Serena, you know, all players want is transparency and honesty. Mm-hmm. Now, you might not always like what the honesty is. You're not going to play because this is your role within the team and this is why I'm making this decision and you have to basically have make a choice whether you're coming on board with this or you're not. Yeah. But for some reason, a, a lot of coaches tend to find that a bit difficult. Mm. You know, yeah, a lot of a lot of people find confrontational, like open and honest discussions quite difficult. Yeah, it's, it, look, it's, <laughs> I've been talking about this recently because in the work I do with some of my clients, pretty much all of my clients, at some point, we end up talking about relationships. Yeah, We all want them. We all have them, whether that's your coach, your partner, your family, you know, relationships always come into play. And one thing in relationships is what happens is, you know, there's this new term ghosting. And ghosting is basically, it's fear. It's because somebody doesn't want to tell you something that they think is going to hurt your feelings. And that's all ghosting is about. It's about that other person having a lack of communication, you know, an inability to communicate to you that they don't want to see you again or they don't want you to play or whatever it is that it's on them. It's their communication ability, you know, ability. And that, and it's the same, you know, in sport. It's like communication skills are fucking crucial. If you're going to be a coach or a manager or whatever within that squad, you've got to be able to communicate with your player and not be frightened to do so. Mm. Um, and even like um, as on the pitch you know I think like, as well like being exposed constantly and even when I moved into production I found it really difficult that people couldn't give you like open and honest feedback whether it was good bad or indifferent and actually when I first started in production it was bad because I was completely retraining in an industry that I had no idea about at 30 yeah. so the transition of athletes into a new life afterwards it's bloody difficult it's so mm. difficult but like I'm so used to on the football pitch, if I do a bad pass, I know I've messed up. Someone will say, Ish, you fucked that up. Like, what have you done? Like, you know, and, and so, and, and like, I don't mind people, of course you want feedback. And if you don't know or have the tools to actually have an idea about what you need to do to improve that, then you need help. You need help. You need someone to see it from a different perspective. And, and I find it, and I think that's why a lot of maybe like business coaching and stuff like that and executive coaching, they always, they tend to relate, don't they, or or quote sports people and stuff like that because we're just used to it. Yeah. It's just every single day, it's hour upon hour of, right, what are you doing right? What are you doing wrong? This is what's happening. And, and it's a lot of self-evaluation constantly mm. that you have to make sure that you're contributing to the team. And I think in that a lot of that is 
crucial and and does help in a in a business world and a corporate world as well yeah absolutely you know I'm not a fan of all I, I get called a life coach a lot of the time and I, I'm not a fan of that title but everyone gets it when they when they say you're a life coach but to me coaching is is a toolkit there's there's many different things that I do with my clients whether they're in sports or not um it, it's, it's just a toolkit but one of the one one of the things my coach said to me quite a few years ago he was be the kind of coach that's not frightened to get fired and i and it's never forgot i've never it's never left me that and that and that's why i think i love working with sort of high achievers and high performers because a lot of people say yes to them all the time mm-hmm. uh, and they need somebody that's is not going to be that person and and i like being that person that's like giving them fucking mirror and making them see what's on the mirror but also what's behind it and yeah. you know just not being afraid to get fired and i think most coaches you know, I think that's a good way to be, really. It really is. It's like that's that's an awesome. I'm gonna steal that if you don't mind as well. Because it. I think but it is it's exactly what you said, Sam. It's it's living without fear. Yeah. You know? And you have to do that. And and I think the world would be a much easier place if any everyone was just a bit more honest with mm-hmm. each other. Um there's a movie actually, I don't know whether you've seen it, it's Ricky Gervais movie called The Invention of Lying. Yes, I've seen brilliant. it. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> and like it's <laughs> It's just like to see a world where no one can lie and everyone just tells you the truth, where it's like a sledgehammer in the face. I get I get told a lot that I'm a bit of a sledgehammer in the face, and it's like, well, at least you know where I stand, or at least I think you know. (laughs) You can always push back if you don't like it, then like we can discuss the reasons why and stuff like that. But you don't think Aussies a bit like that anyway, a bit more than us Brits. You know, you are a little bit. You know, I don't know loads of Aussies, but the ones that I do. I certainly would say that they are a little bit more forthright, a little bit more bolshy, yeah. a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd I'd have to completely agree. With you <laughs> and a lot more sweary. Yeah, well, we don't. I don't mind the sweary. So yeah, yeah. fine. Yeah, Listen, true. I am really aware that I have taken up like a lot more of your time than I promised to. Um, but thank you for for coming along and, and sharing a little bit about your story and what you're up to what what are you what's next for you then after this docu-series have you got anything coming up what what's your plans what would you like to happen um look I think I'm definitely really keen to work on the world cup back in Australia um so I think that'll probably be in a broadcast sense you know I've still got a really good relationship with Optus Sport yeah um I worked with them on the 2019 world cup I did the men's euros with them they're fantastic to work with um so yeah hoping that that will come to fruition because it's a home world cup i want to be there i want to be following the aussies i want to be amongst it so that's that's the loose plan at the moment so hopefully i'll get to spend a couple of months or two or three months back in australia after i finish up on this anyway no yeah and for those of the guys that are listening uh yeah the women's world cup is next year in new zealand and australia uh kicks off i think it's like around about the 20th of july in new zealand final is in sydney i'm gonna be there i'm, I'm definitely going i'm gonna be away from home for two months i am not risking for anything so no yeah. it's gonna be <laughs> and a wonderful spectacle as i say i keep saying this what to expect you expect a lot of beer a sports bad nation so i think the you know our stadiums are in great positions. Yeah, there's beaches, there's football. What more could you want in life? It's I know. Be fun. <laughs> and I, 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 yeah, what do you think at this point with the Matildas? Then, what do you think of their their chances? How well they they might do in the World Cup next year? 
Because we, you've we, got some phenomenal players. Yeah, we've had some really phenomenal have. players. I think we're still kind of, we did really well in the Olympics. I think this year has been a bit, you can see kind of the fatigue creeping in. I know a lot of the players had a bit of time off over summer as well because I haven't had any time off for about seven years. Yeah. But it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough gig. And if they didn't actually take the time off, to not go to the Spain and Portugal games, then mm-hmm. they would have been going straight into the World Cup pretty fatigued as well. Yeah. So I think you you can definitely see that, and hopefully a lot of them are, are refreshed after that. But, you know, anything can happen. It's like uh, not to go the Heineken thing, you know, home crowds, yeah. they're the 12th player, aren't they? Yeah, no, but it may, look, it makes a massive difference. On Sunday we saw that, you know, 90,000 people, 87,000 people, we were all the 12th person um, yeah. and, and they needed it. I'm sure their legs were like bloody jelly for, you know, 120 minutes. Mm. Who's Germany as well? You know, it, it, it's so much. It meant so much to this nation, but any nation. And, yeah, look, you need the crowd. And I'm pretty sure I've seen, you know, some Aussies here celebrate. One of my one of my friends is Aussie and she came from Australia for the Euros and, you know, um, I've seen how Aussies can really get behind their 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 people, and that you know I just can't wait to be honest. I know it's going. I know that you you guys are going to put on a great a great spectacle. So I'm not missing we, the opportunity. <laughs> I know, and you are correct in not missing that opportunity. It's going to be brilliant. You know, the Matildas are the most popular sporting team in Australia, so it's going to be huge. I didn't uh, know that actually. I didn't know. Yeah, that. we're the most popular sporting team in Australia. Yeah, yeah. level of engagement on stuff. Yep. Did yeah. not know that. That's phenomenal. That is yeah. phenomenal. Well, so who knows what's going to happen, Sam? But I can't bloody wait. Well, I hope that you get you get to work to Optus uh, next year, and that you're on the World Cup. I look forward to your doc Q coming out in uh, April. Will there be a big launch party? You go. I hope I so. There was like, did you see No Woman, No Try, the rugby one? Yeah. Had a really yeah, good, you know, they they really did that well, and Victoria yeah. did an amazing job um i hope you, you, you know your your program gets the same kind of like you know you get a, a launch party and it really gets pushed at the beginning because sounds like you know i'm going to be looking at it but yeah. i hope a whole bunch of other people will be as well yeah i think it's gonna i think it's gonna resonate really well to be honest as i say and we're, we're lucky we've got one of the best players in the world who people want to people want to watch which makes it a lot easier as well and she's our captain as well she leads from the front so yeah all good things brilliant Thank you so much, Alicia. I really, really appreciate your time today on The Real Life Sports Show. Thanks, Sam.